Thank you for joining us for this Freedom Fellowship Extra podcast, where we go beyond our Sunday sermons and make practical Christianity available for you to listen throughout your week. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Freedom Fellowship Extra podcast. And we've got a special guest with us here today. We've got Mr. Dennis Cottrell, and we are going to be talking about the issue of baptism. Now, over the last couple of uh, midweek videos that you and I have been doing, we have been talking about the ordinances within the church, but also, um, to, to kind of put it more simply, is why do we do what we do as believers? And so last week, we looked at the Lord's Supper. What, why do we do communion? Scripturally, why do we do it? And then why do we do it the way that we do? So I would encourage people, if, if you missed last week, um, you can look for the midweek from uh, September, I believe it was 26th, maybe I'm making that up, but uh, that week where we talk about the issue of the Lord's Supper. And today we're going to be talking about baptism. And baptism is, is such a deeper subject than it is at first glance, because you may be thinking, okay, well, uh, baptism, yep, you dunk somebody underwater, what's the big deal? Dennis, what is the big deal with, with baptism? Well, baptism is uh, so important. It, is, uh, it pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So it's an ordinance of the church. Jesus commanded us to be baptized. And what happens is when someone is experiences the new birth, they have uh, called upon the name of the Lord, they've repented of their sins, and they trust in Jesus Christ, well, then that is the new birth experience. Now, following that, he encourages us to be baptized, and that means, again, it comes from a, a, translator, a transliteration of a word, baptisma. And baptisma has the idea of placing a cloth into dipping or plunging under the water or into the dock. And so uh, we believe and we practice what we call immersion. And there are other forms, other traditions that practice different kinds of baptism, but that's what we practice here, and uh, here at Freedom Fellowship. So, r- r- real quick, let, let's talk about the other forms of baptism. Okay. So, um, when you talk about immersion, you said that is that is completely underwater. Yes. Um, so, one personally that that I've experienced is as an infant in the Methodist Church, we had to wear a. Um, essentially, as a little boy, it was a, a little dress, a, um, a, a christen, christening gown. Uh, yeah, why, why they make children <laughs> wear those, myself included. It, it's, it's a formality uh, within the church. And, and so specifically for me, um, in the Methodist church, that they held myself and my brothers at different times, but they would just sprinkle a little bit of water on our forehead, and we were baptized into the body of, of believers at that specific church. So scripturally, that's we, we believe something a little bit different than, than that. Yes, the, uh, the Methodist church would say they would come back and be able to communicate that there are examples in the New Testament of whole households being baptized. Mm-hmm. It, in, that, in those scriptures, it doesn't say anything about infants. We believe that believer's baptism is the scriptural way where a person first believes, experiences the new birth, and then they follow the Lord in, in baptism, identifying with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Right. Now, I personally do not make that an issue of fellowship 
because I have many uh, Methodist friends who are um, who are godly people, and I love and uh, and we're good friendships, and we both love the Lord. But that is their convictions, and that's why they practice the infant baptism. Roman Catholicism practices infant baptism, and they believe it's necessary for salvation. Right. So it's it's a different thing. I don't believe that uh, the Methodist Church. Uh, to my knowledge, does not make it a requirement to get to heaven, uh, infant baptism, but the Catholic Church does. Yeah, and so that that's uh, again indifferent. Presbyterians have uh, they they practice sprinkling. Uh, sometimes they practice pouring. Mm-hmm. So the, the the modes of baptism or pouring, the sprinkling or immersion, uh, right. and those are the three main. Uh, forms of baptism. So if somebody is listening to this and they they may say that they may have been in, in my situation where I was baptized as an infant in the Methodist church, but at 28 years old, I professed faith in Christ or, or saving faith in Christ. But the Lord impressed upon me that I need to get water baptized by immersion in front of my church family. The pride part of me said, no, I can't do that because I've been at that point a believer for about a year, maybe a little less than a year. And I had been going to that church for about two years prior. Uh, I I would say probably a couple months prior to salvation. So my thought, my pride was saying, yes. what are all these people going to think about you? Yes. You've been going to this church for a while. You're just now getting water baptized. And that hindered me from uh, going and, and talking to the pastor and saying, hey, this is something I, I think that I should do. And let me take it a, a step further. Now that I've got a platform to, to tell okay. this story, <laughs> I talked to my younger brother, who was actually the first of the three of us to get saved. I called him. He was a believer at the time. I said, let me come to San Antonio to your church or to our parents' church to get water baptized. That way no one knows me. Technically, I'm checking that off you know, of the list to where I am getting water baptized, but I don't have to do it in front of my church. And he cut me off mid-sentence. He said, no, stop. You need to get baptized at your church. Yes. So I swallowed my pride. I went and talked to the pastor told him my story. I said, I was baptized as an infant, but I feel the need to get baptized as an adult. He said, I want you to say that exact same thing in front of the congregation on Sunday. Yes. I said, wait a minute. You didn't say anything about public speaking here. Wait, (laughs) what's going on? And we had two services, one at nine, one at 11, and both services were full. So I had to get up in front of everybody and explain what it is that, that I just talked about, which was being baptized as a child, as an infant, but now as a profession of faith, I would like to do it. And if anybody wants to do it with me, we had nine people in those two services say, you know what? I want to get water baptized. It's been on my heart for a while, but it took someone stepping up and and saying, Hey, you're not alone in that. So I like to tell that story because it was that's when all the light bulbs started going on of okay, had I been a jerk and done that at my parents' church and been a chicken about yes. it, yes. that wouldn't have happened. Yes. But there were people who 
Uh, some grew up in the Methodist Church, some Presbyterian, some you know different denominations. Within that group of ten of us, who said, you know what, I, it's been on my heart for a while. It, that desire has been there to get water baptized or rebaptized, but I, I I was too afraid to ask that yeah. question. So, all of that very long winded story to to say if there's someone who is listening right now and you have felt the need to get water baptized, to get rebaptized in front of your church family as a profession of faith, come and talk to myself, talk to Dennis, talk to one of the elders, and just talk with us about it. We're not going to embarrass you and put you, you know, up there in the front or, you know, anything like that. It is just simply letting you know that this is an act, a, a profession of faith on your end, but this water baptism is kind of a, an external thing that you can do in front of your church family. Yes, I appreciate you sharing that, Justin, because it's so true how uh, how what we say and do influences other people. And that, in a positive way, is one of the ways that God uses to move upon the church family and those that are in hearing of, of what, we've, what we've just shared. Um, it's so important as believers to be able to be open about our faith in Christ, mm-hmm. and it's encouraging other believers. Um, it, uh, I'm reminded of the story of the fifth uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, because uh, God moved upon Philip to go to the desert, and he came across this man who was in the chair at the Ethiopian eunuch, and as he was, as he was you know, he stopped the chariot, and, and he said to the Ethiopian unit, do you understand what you're reading? And he was reading Isaiah 53, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guide me? And God used Philip mm-hmm. to impress upon the Ethiopian eunuch the need of salvation. Right. And he preached Christ through Isaiah 53. And then as they approached a body of water, the eunuch said, what doth hinder me from being baptized? And of course, by that point, he had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And there's so many times as believers when there are roadblocks or road bumps, things that hinder us, that uh, when the invitation starts, it's amazing how we begin to rationalize and the, the Lord moves upon us to make a decision to take a step out. And that's when all kinds of things, whether it's pride, it can be traditions. Yep. If we've been raised in another tradition, what's, what's mom or dad going to think if I if am baptized in this church or if I've been baptized in, with a different mode uh, or a, a different tradition? So many things happen, and it's so important that we respond to the Lord. Sometimes someone will, I've had times in the past when somebody said, well, I want to I be baptized. I want to join the church. And uh, joining the church is not the right reason to be baptized. The right reason to be baptized is in response to the, to the Word of God and the Spirit of the Lord leading us to be identified with Christ, right. not just a denomination. Yeah. So when someone comes to me and wants to be baptized just strictly to join a denomination, 
I just discourage that. You need to, you need to do this in response to the Lord. It needs to be uh, a step of faith. Yeah. And when we do it as a step of faith, it, it we find that that the Lord uses it to encourage others and to minister to others. Right. And those are the very reasons why He wants us to do it. So there's certain denominations that we we hear that that some people believe that in order to be saved you have to be water baptized, and we know scripturally that doesn't pardon the pun uh, hold water mm-hmm. because that there there is a distinction between what baptism is and, and what it does. So when someone professes faith in Christ, according to Romans ten, they believe it in their heart, they confess. Jesus is Lord with their mouth, and they believe in the resurrection. That is when someone is truly born again. Something spiritual happens at that point. Now, the Holy Spirit is is all over that conversion right there. But two things happen. The first thing that happens is when someone professes faith in Christ, is they are, according to Ephesians 1, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Um, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The other thing that happens uh, spiritually or, or supernaturally is we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, not the local church. We're baptized into the greater body of Christ. Now, that is what happens at that point of salvation. Spiritually, that's what's going on. Physically, there is no water, there is no tank, there is no lake to, to dunk someone in. That is happening just in, in the spiritual realm. That's what Scripture tells us uh, happens, according to uh, Ephesians 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That is the work of the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. But I'll take this a step further. The Holy Spirit then prompts us exactly what you were talking about with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. When he, uh, the Ethiopian, when he received Christ, that desire was inside of him to go and get water baptized. That was the leading of the Holy Spirit that he was following. So for us as well, same type of thing, that we have the the spiritual baptism or we're baptized into the body of of believers, but also that desire is then placed inside of us to get water baptized for all of the reasons that you just talked about as being a public profession, a, a public witness to our church family. Yes. Every once in a while, you hear somebody uh, turn that around and say, well, do I have to be baptized? Is it required? And I submit to you that that question is the wrong one to ask, because the truth is, when you have been born again, one of the first things that happen is there is the desire within you to be identified with Christ and his people. And so the thing is, is it's the, rather than to think of why should I do it or do I have to, I think if we would listen to the Lord and the Spirit of God moving us, that, that desire is placed within us. And we find it may be a year later, it may be a day later, but at some point the Spirit of God will prompt us to be identified with Christ through baptism because it pictures the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And it's a beautiful, meaningful ceremony. In fact, one of the things that's really neat is when you have that prompting, and if you respond to that in a positive way, one of the first things you need to do is 
make a list of people you can invite to your baptism. Oh, that's a good idea. And when you do that, you'd be surprised how many of those people are thinking about the same thing and the need and realize it. And God uses that mm-hmm. to uh, to draw them into the body. Absolutely. So we, we've talked so far about what baptism is, what it does, what it doesn't do. Um, we've also talked about the different types of baptism. And the next thing I want to talk about is, is a very interesting question that you prompted, which is, why did Jesus not baptize people? And I've, I've never heard someone ask that question, and so it kind of got my, my wheels turning a little bit. But you have an interesting theory about why he didn't baptize people. Yes, it doesn't scripturally. There's nothing in there that uh, in the Word that actually identifies the reason he didn't baptize, but it's my conviction that— um, people would take a good thing and they would twist it and they would not, start taking not people not yes. people yeah. <laughs> they would start uh, in a sense they would start becoming very prideful uh, there would be an elegant uh, arrogance that would develop where they would begin to think well I I'm better than you as a believer because I have been baptized by Jesus and there is a sense that uh, there would be a hierarchy uh, that would be developed. There would be a system of some way recognizing and uh, weaponizing, in a sense, this pride such as uh, took place in Paul's experience. Um, there was a pride even with the apostles who baptized too. And um, Jesus didn't baptize. If it was a requirement of salvation— he should have been full-time baptizer, yep. but he wasn't. I also go back to, to John's baptism. Um, one of the things that John did is, uh, I believe it was kind of a, it's, it's a sacramental baptism. And what I mean by that is that it's, it was a token of and a pledge of the coming of the Messiah. Jesus, uh, John the Baptist was one calling in the wilderness he was one of preparing for the baptism. And the word sacrament is a Latin word that comes, uh, comes to mind is token or pledge. And so John's baptism pictured the coming of the Messiah. Where Jesus, when we're baptized as believers to now, we're pointing back, not forward, but back to his coming right. and what he did for us on the cross. So it's very, very important to, to know the difference. Yeah, and, and John's ministry was very unique. Of course, it was as like all of the other prophets um, prior to him in the Old Testament. They had a very unfavorable task, a very unpopular message, which is to go out amongst the people and tell them what they don't want to hear, yes. which is repent of your sin because the Messiah is coming. And I think that there's a reason why Jesus refers to John as the greatest prophet, because he was going out with that message saying, repent because the Savior, the Messiah is at hand, or more specifically, the kingdom of God is here. It is here and now, but the first part of that is repent. Understand your own sinfulness, how we have turned from God. You need to get your heart right. What this baptism is doing is giving you an outward expression, an outward uh, tangible fact to what has already happened within your heart. Yes. 
that word repent means the, the change of mind. And their perspective, as John begins his ministry, is that the Messiah has not come. John's saying he is here. This is it. And so they have to repent. They have to change their mind concerning who Christ is. And as people do that, it's not only against sin, it, but he, it's a repentance of sin, but it was also repentance in the sense of we have to change our mind, our pre-thinking, our pre-conceptions um, were wrong. And we have to understand the importance of, of, uh, of, of responding to the Messiah as John preached him. One of the things I wanted to mention, we referred to it earlier, is um, th this history of being baptized. Um, it goes back to uh, being rebaptized, really. You've heard, I'm sure, of Anabaptists, and Anabaptists, it means being baptized again or a second time. And the Roman Catholic Church taught that infant baptism was uh, the means to salvation. Uh, back in Zurich's Switzerland in the early 1500s, um, one of the reformers was a, a gentleman named Swigley, and he was teaching, in essence, that we need to be baptized a second time as believers. And um, it wasn't uh, during that period of time that Anabaptists became a reality. One of the, in fact, the man that it was named after was a, a gentleman called Memo Simmons. And Memo Simmons, that's where we get the word Mennonites. And Anabaptists, uh, the Mennonites are, are, the, are the reflection of, of Menno Sims. And what happens, or Simmons, and so what happens were there were people who were going to the Scripture, reading the Scriptures for the first time, um, and and when they when they read the scripture, they realized they need to be baptized as believers, as opposed to being baptized like as, the like the Roman Catholic Church as an infant. As an with infant, the, the that's right. right. And they came to that conviction from reading the Bible themselves. Now, what happened was many of them. In fact, it's estimated somewhere between twenty five hundred and five thousand Mennonites were killed and and were murdered as a result of their desire to be identified with Christ through water baptism as believers. So that's a, that's a, that's a big thing if you think about it, people being burned, uh, people who were actually um, killed, some were drowned. One, one account comes to my mind of a gentleman who had been, uh, as a believer, he had been baptized, and he at one point he's being arrested. So he's in jail. He escapes from jail. And as he escapes, one of the guards follows him, and he crosses a river. Well, the man following him fell into that river and is crying out for help. And the, the man who had escaped the prison went back, pulled him out of the water, and the, the, the guard then rearrests him, takes him back, and a year or two later, he's, he is killed for his faith in Christ. Wow. So it's amazing the kinds of things that took place. We don't get rebaptized to join a church. We get baptized to, to be obedient to the Lord Jesus. And one of the things I like to say to people, 
when they insinuate that baptism is is uh, necessary, I agree with them. It's necessary for obedience, not necessary to get into heaven. Right. But it is necessary for obedience. And one of the things that happens, in fact, I, I, I love to, to see this. When a person is born again, there's two things that happen. One is there is a desire to read the Word of God, to get into the Word of the milk of the Word. Mm-hmm. And then there's a desire to to be baptized. Yep. And um, there's a lot of other things that's going to take place over a period of time. But those two things are basic. When I see that that desire to feed on the Word of God in a new believer, that's exciting to me because that, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a confirmation that they have, in fact, been born again, according to the book of First John. Yep, and, and that's the, the Spirit of the Lord coming alive in them. Yes. And I've, I've heard it explained this way, that um, when you are truly redeemed— when you are born again, three things happen. You have a love of God that you've yes. never had before, yes. a love of people yes. that you've never had before, and a love of the scriptures um, that you have never had before. I'm living proof of that yes. um, because I, I didn't have uh, the luxury or the privilege of people leading me to Christ. Yes. Mine was kind of a um, – I was hearing it, but I just I never acted on it. And um, so my salvation um, account is a little bit different from yeah. – um, what I would say most people's yes. is, which is uh, a spiritual response to a, a sermon that they hear or, yes. you know, walking down the aisle and, and receiving Christ or even at a like a, a youth camp or, or something yes. like that. But every single one of those situations are different. Which one's better? They all are because of exactly what you said. The Holy Spirit really truly coming to the li- coming to life in the life of that young believer and just spreading like wildfire. Yes. So it, it is a really really cool thing um to to see in the life of our uh new believers. We had talked about um the Roman Catholic Church having two other forms of baptism, the baptism of of or baptism by blood and then um, the, by desire. By desire. Can you explain what those are? Yes. Um, the blood baptism in the Catholic Church is those individuals who were not infant baptized but were martyred. And in the spilling of the blood, it is, in their mind, a uh, the equivalent of a salvation experience since they've spilled the blood for Christ in, in the sense that they've martyred. And many times— um, there have been Roman Catholics who have been martyred, and so they account that as uh, the blood baptism. And then the desire of uh, baptism is, again, for those who have the desire, say, as an adult, uh, who were not baptized as infants, but have that desire to be baptized, and they equate that as the same thing if they're killed or murdered or martyred in some way, that desire counts as water baptism. Uh, we do not believe, and I'm saying we, I'm, I'm, uh, I do not believe that uh, desire is what, is, is what the issue is. We trust in Christ. That's what saves us when we trust in the Lord Jesus and his finished work. Right. And that's what's born, that's when, uh, that's when we have that born-again experience. So you don't hear that much about the blood uh, baptism or desire baptism, but that's something that is within uh, the Roman Catholic doctrine. Yeah. So there you have it. I mean, there, baptism is such a deeper subject. It, it goes a whole lot deeper than at first glance. Yes. And I know a lot of people um, 
may not know the the bloody history, especially with yes. the Anabaptists and and what happened over in Europe. I mean, it yeah. was it was brutal stuff all over this one uh, difference in the interpretation of Scripture, whether someone should be baptized as an infant or as a profession of faith as a, an adult. Yeah, one of the things that's teenager. one of the things that's always interesting to me is. Um, people during that period of time, in the, uh, during the Reformation, in uh, those early years, were both Catholics were persecuting, martyring Protestants. But later on, as a part of that proce- process, there were incidents of Protestants martyring the, the Roman Catholics for what they believe. And picture this. Um, in our expressions of other traditions, whether it's through infant baptism or other things, uh, it's one thing to be willing to die for something that you believe. But it's another thing when you think about putting other people to death because they don't agree with us. Yeah. And, and it just it amazes me how Christians have somehow twisted this whole thing. Uh, in such a way that they've been willing to put people to death in the most horrific ways mm-hmm. because they differ from us. Yeah. And uh, we as believers have to be very careful that um, that we don't drift in that direction because yeah. there are going to be differences. And the truth is, even in our own lives, think about the time from the time that you were saved to the time you die— Think of how you have changed and grown in your beliefs. Yeah. And uh, we have to be very careful that we don't become so dogmatic, so legalistic, that we're willing to put people to death if they disagree with us. Think about that. Yeah, and and to kind of lighten that up even just a little bit, and this is to, to get people to think, that we sometimes marginalize denominations yes. or Christians if they believe something different from what we believe. So, for example, spiritual gifts. Oh, you believe in that wacky stuff. We automatically put them into a category that um, they believe differently from me. So we it may not be to the extreme of death, but it is that's human nature, unfortunately, that, that we separate people like that yeah it's uh i call it a pecking order yeah i was raised on a farm and and uh when you put a, a, a new cow in a pasture um there's a pecking order that developed and some of the cows or bulls would be more aggressive than others and they kind of have a um the way of establishing themselves and you it happens in hum in humanity it happens with other animals and they they kind of come up with who is the king of this particular group, and churches have pecking orders. Pecking orders. We have groups of churches who look down on other churches because they're different from us. And how does this particular church, whether it's a Baptist or Methodist or a Pentecostal, how they look at each other? Instead of seeing what they have in common, they see what they don't have in common, and they have that order hierarchy if you would Mm -hmm. and it's amazing how many churches develop this uh, arrogance where they feel better they feel superior to other churches and other denominations and i would submit to you that that sort of thing is not of christ right Uh, we we many times have more that 
we hold in common than we have that separates us. And that's one of the reasons why um, I have um, many friends from other denominations. I remember uh, several years ago, and I'll close with this story, but many years ago I came into uh, Northwest Arkansas, and um, there was a Roman Catholic priest that I met, uh, and he was a pastor of a local Catholic church. And I noticed that he was different in my mind, and and so I I called him up one day, and I said, let's go to lunch. And so he agreed with me, and we met for lunch, and I sat down with him, and I said, Bill, I said, you're the first Catholic priest that I've ever had lunch with. And he laughed, and he said, well, you're the first Baptist pastor that I've ever had lunch. And then I said to him, when did you become a Christian? And his exact words, he said, I accepted Christ as my personal Savior as a sophomore in college. Isn't that great? What a great mm. testimony. And and uh, I found out that he was, a in his church, he was a verse-by-verse teacher of the Word of God. Well, that blew my concept of Roman Catholicism just right. totally out of the water. Mm-hmm. Now, my, my point is, many times we find that our misconceptions are so inaccurate. Yeah. And we need to uh, be careful that we don't always put people in categories. Yeah. And, and the art of conversation, of discourse, it, it seems to be going by the wayside, you know, especially in this, this world of technology and, and social media and, and things like that, that if you sit down and talk with somebody, much mm-hmm. to your point, you will sit down and realize how much more you have in common versus how much you differ on, on certain certain things. And it could be politics, could be religion, all the things you're not supposed That's to right. talk to, you That's know, right. or talk about right. But but it's it's really as as Christians, when we are sitting down and, and talking with someone, whether it's someone that we agree with theologically or differ theologically, or even politically or or anything like that, going back to what the scripture says, and that is to do everything with love. And loving someone doesn't mean that you have to agree with them in every single thing. Ask any married couple out there, do you still love your spouse even after that fight? The answer is yes. Yes. So disagreeing with somebody doesn't mean that you don't love them anymore or anything like that. It is Really, we want to be the embodiment of Christ. We, Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be an imitator of Christ, and that is to love people that we sometimes disagree with or don't agree with at all, fundamentally, but really is to show that love that we have first been shown by him. The Lord loves them. Yes. Do we love them? Yes. That's, That's the question. Yep. Well, anyway, Justin, it's been good to visit with you today, and and thank you for uh, discussing this subject. Absolutely. Well, we will have more of these Freedom Fellowship Extra podcasts in the weeks to come, so we will see you next time. Thank you for downloading this Freedom Fellowship Extra podcast. Our prayer is that this message helps you take what we learn in Scripture and apply it to our everyday lives. If you are looking for a church home, we invite you to check us out this Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We're located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com. Our mission here is to love God, love people, and serve both.